Hello, gorillas. This is episode three, season three of Gorilla Opera Podcast. My name is Tay Kim, ensemble pianist, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, we're joined by Gorilla Opera's artistic directors, Aliana de la Guardia and Julia Newlin-Marat, to discuss its first watch party and the challenges of running an opera company. Thank you both for joining us. So let's talk about our first watch party experience. I think we were really thrilled with it. Um, Ali and I, and I, when we touched base afterwards, we were like, that was a clear win. We were very excited by not only having people joining us, but also the amount of interaction. So the conversations that were happening while the show was, hap- was streaming, but also um, kind of people sharing their memories about Gorilla. And it really felt like, it was a different way to have a communal aspect of viewing a show because normally you have the audience quiet around you, but it felt like you were still watching a show with a group of people, but it was a different way. So that was very exciting to us. I, I have to say too that at first I was really kind of down on the idea of having a watch party. And this was one of the examples of me just being like making a concession and being like, you know what, maybe... I'm wrong about this. And, uh, you know, I, w- I was wrong about that. <laughs> I was on Vimeo, watching the opera while reading and participating in the lively chat. How was the YouTube platform? So we didn't have YouTube um, oh. streaming, um, but we did have Facebook and also uh, Instagram Live. Um, so we did uh, on those three platforms this time. Yeah, we we were originally going to do a YouTube stream, but something was not quite right with the technology. So it ended up being only on Vimeo and Facebook. And still it was successful. So, you know, yeah, it was kind of we missed it. No, Uh, I mean, I think that originally came from a conversation um, with Aliana, because originally my instinct was like, let's just do Facebook. But she brought up the good point that actually not everybody is on Facebook. Um, So it it really opened um, our pool of who could watch the party. And um, the next day I pulled all the data from it. And it was actually incredible to see people from all over the world tuned in to join us. So that was really exciting. We were particularly popular in Brazil for some reason. So... Um, that was that was wonderful to see. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you uh, enjoy about it and what can we actually improve upon this experience? Are we going to have more watch party? So we're going to have more frequent watch parties than we originally planned. Um, that was something that really resonated with us after this experience. Originally, we were thinking one every four months-ish. Um, and we had done an outline, but now that we see there's such a demand and hunger to share, um, we're definitely, uh, we're looking at doing it every month. And I have to say it was because of me. It was because I was skeptical of the watch party idea. And as I said before, I was wrong and my foot is in my mouth and we are doing now more watch parties. It's very exciting. (laughs) Awesome. So what's the next one? I'm guessing one in July. We are looking at doing one in July and um, the format will be different for the one in August, but we're not 
quite ready to announce the July yet. <laughs> yeah, we're, it's actually our goal today is to look uh, at the watch party schedule and decide which one is coming next. And in August, we're going to do, uh, we think we're going to do something like an interactive soiree or something like that. It definitely sounds like a considerable amount of planning is needed to make these events happen. But even with all the planning amidst this pandemic, social and political climate has effectively thwarted in many of our scheduled lives. Can you share the process as to how Gorilla Opera is adapting and coming up with difficult decisions such as postponing these scheduled events? Yeah, absolutely. So since um, we've all been in quarantine, with the ensemble, we've been meeting every two weeks, as you know, um, and it's been really wonderful to kind of bounce ideas, but also get feedback and impressions. And what we do, I'm going to call us the senior staff. <laughs> we meet um, the first also biweekly by also biweekly. We mm -hmm. meet the first hour before those ensemble meetings. And Aliana started the meeting with saying, how does everyone feel? <laughs> Which was very you know, warranted considering um, the political and national climate. And um, so that's when we started uh, bringing up that whether or not it would be appropriate to have a watch party um, given the events and given also that George Floyd's memorial would have been three hours before our watch party. So I was one of these people that was sort of like on the fence as to and more on the side to just do it. Um, and, you know, as we were discussing, I just kept getting pulled one way to the other because on one hand, you know, I feel like we're guerrilla opera and there's an expectation to just like go on no matter what, that we're really spunky and resilient. And then on the other hand, you know, I did want to make space for this really important national conversation. And so I was sort of caught in between like, do we make space for the national conversation or do we serve our constituents that we're still signing up to like go to this party? Um, in the long run, I'm, I'm really glad that we did. Like, um, I really, yeah. I feel that we did make the right decision. So. And I think part of what resonated to us was sometimes being brave and bold is actually taking a step back and yeah. letting other conversations happen. And so uh, that was definitely the right move. And Aliana and I and Brenda, we ended up actually watching um, another stream that had nothing to do with opera. But Yeah, so, so actually when we canceled Heart of a Dog, we... Um, we put out a big statement and we said specifically, will you donate to the NAACP? Mm -hmm. And then that same time that we were supposed to be airing Heart of a Dog, the NAACP was having a, like a, a, a large conversation, uh, Facebooked live. So that really made me feel like very settled on that we made the right decision because that, that, was, an import, that was a more important conversation to be highlighting um, and actually we did it twice. So we postponed Heart of a Dog. And then also we've been doing these um, workshops in collaboration with the Haverhill Public Library. And on one of the Saturdays that we were supposed to have a workshop with Haverhill Public Library was also a Black Lives Matter demonstration. And so we, po we postponed the um, 
we, we just moved it back a week so that we wouldn't be, you know, um, taking attention away from the demonstration. And actually Mike and I attended that demonstration. So we were happy to be able to participate. It's really, I think it's important to really also highlight the conversations that are happening really, really locally and in yeah. direct communities, because I think it's very easy for us to be, to think like what's going on in the nation and then forget that actually we have elections that are in our backyard that direct us, you know, that affect us directly, like your city elections and, right. you know, who are you voting for, for your superintendent of schools and who are you voting for, for your, you know, for sheriff. And that's important to consider as well, like not just the president, it's like who's in charge of your backyard, you know? <laughs> and those are changes you can do now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, with all these, uh, I wanna say wrenches that are being uh, thrown at you, <laughs> with all these plans, um, what were the projects that were to happen if COVID-19 was not around? <laughs> so we, we I talked about this all the time and I really was like this was the year you yeah. know <laughs> so so go ahead yeah I was just gonna say even though we've been co-artistic director for two years this was the season we had finally planned right because there's always like a one year um, lag so we were so excited <laughs> to put on all these incredible productions <laughs> Um, and unfortunately, we, we couldn't. And we, got, we got cut short. Well, I mean, we got to live stream our Composer Fellowship. And the Composer Fellowship essentially is a program that takes composers through our specific process of putting on a show, which is fast-paced and also just really kind of like hands-on, here we go. And that one, we, did, we were able to live stream Directly after that, we were going to do a showing of Marty Epstein's Rumpelstiltskin, and that is with shadow puppetry uh, animation by, by Denise Khatiri, and that was canceled because um, Berkeley had issued travel restrictions for all Berkeley-related performances, traveling, and mm -hmm. that particular show was being sponsored by the Boston Conservatory. Um, so uh, they rightfully had to cancel that. And then we were about to go into rehearsals for Let's Make a Sandwich, which would have been two more composers, uh, Victoria Chia and Anthony Green. And, you know, because we just had to cancel that show because we're committed to other really evening length works. And um, we just have to move on with our other seasons as planned. Mm -hmm. um, and our, and that was really, that was a real bummer. And our all-star concert as well. Oh kind of yes, that's right. And our all-star concert at the MFA, which was going to be on their soundbite series, which was going to present more music by Victoria Chia and Anthony Green, and one of the pieces, uh, uh, two of the pieces, okay, so one of the pieces on that program would have been a world premiere, and the other piece would have been a local uh, premiere, so. Yeah. Boo. 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 
<laughs> a lot of heartaches. <laughs> um, when we cancel, let's make a sandwich. Aliana and I talked about actually fees for artists because that was also something important because they, all these artists put a hold in their calendars. Um, and we are a small company and we rely heavily on donations and also ticket sales. And obviously we couldn't perform. Um, but Aliana did some wizard accounting <laughs> and uh, we were able to give uh, a part of the fee to all the performers, which I think was incredible and important to also say thank you. And we see you as artists and we value you as part of our family. And um, we also covered all the fees to the composers, which I think is important. Yeah, we paid the composers yeah. their full commission because they did complete the score. Mm -hmm. And um, also with Rumpelstiltskin, when yeah. we canceled that, we also paid, um, you know, a small reparation to the performers that had already been rehearsing the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. but I think it's important to point out because, you know, we are small, but we are mighty. <laughs> well, you know, the second we canceled those shows, I was like, you know, we have to pay our performers. Right. You know, they blocked off all that time and they were waiting and they were expecting. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's definitely a conversation a lot of companies and hard conversations have had to have because not everybody can do that or chooses to do that. Uh, so something worth bringing up. Right. Yeah. Well, it's not like the government's going to save us in that regard anyway. I'm cutting that out. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, but, 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 but wait, but wait, though. Like, we are, we are small companies, right? And the works we produce are, like, kind of on a budget. Mm -hmm. And, <clears throat> you know, that puts us on the lower scale for a lot of the, like, NEA grants, which are generally won by larger companies that have bigger community program staffs um, as well as you know really important um, placemaking arts organizations right. so you know for us it's you know what's the government gonna do for us when we're so small we don't have a, a, a payroll like some of these other companies do we just kind of have to like sit back and tighten our belts and wait <laughs> right. right and 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 you know and relying on, you know, the real generosity of the people who are our fans mm -hmm. who want to see us succeed worldwide now. Brazil and Russia, that's amazing. <laughs> um, have to start doing multilingual works. I know. <laughs> oh, we have a chicken aria. <laughs> we do have a chicken aria. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Aside from doing more chicken areas, what's the future looking like for Gorilla Opera? Well, we have a lot of shows that are what I like to call an incubation, which means there are various status of either the librettos are being written, the composers are working on it. We have one piece that the composer just finished writing it. Um, so it's supporting that aspect of things to kind of once we are able to come back together um, and perform, then we have actual works that are ready to go. Um, but Aliana has been the mastermind behind our COVID experiments. <laughs> Do you want to share a little bit? Yeah. So after having all of these um, ensemble meetings, several ensemble meetings, um, 
I got the feeling that no one was really in a headspace to explore anything that was long form. You know, like the idea of developing a full opera during this time seemed really overwhelming for where we all were in our headspace. And, and um, so my idea was that we could still engage with each other as artists and be connecting with each other through our artistry um, by doing experiments in small form that meet each of us where we're at and essentially follow our art making during this entire COVID time. Mm -hmm. So in fairness, it was a really selfish idea because it's really about us and our art making. But at the end of the day, I think our audience wants to see us and our art making. But something I've been exploring recently is how, how now that little by little live performance is happening, but you can't perform singing live, mm -hmm. right? So how, how does that, you know, fit into everything as an opera company? I feel that guerrilla opera as a term opens us up to explore what is opera and musical theatricality much more broadly right. than uh, like a more conventional or more traditional opera company. So, you know, one of the pieces that we're working on is Waltzer in the House, which is for vibraphone and voice. And it's a chamber piece, but we collaborated with, with Brenda and she's doing a small puppetry experiment. Another piece we were interested in is Sarriejo's uh, Set Papillon, which is solo cello piece. And that is set with um, shadow theater and shadow puppetry with um, really unique animation and design by Denise Khattiri, who is the same designer for um, Rumpelstiltskin. Right. So in a way to sum this up, it's exploring the power of music and storytelling, right? In like innovative ways, as opposed to just in presentation format, which is very exciting because it kind of keeps everyone's uh, artistic muscles going yeah. while we're all in quarantine. I, to some degree, I wish we were an opera company that could just do aria concerts, mm -hmm. you know, like I wish we could just do aria concerts because it would be so much easier. You yeah. just push <laughs> track, like you push play on a track and you sing into the camera and that's so easy. You know what I mean? Or let's say you're quarantined with your, your partner that is a pianist or your roommate that is a pianist or whatever, and you just happen to live somewhere where you're able to perform. And that's, that's great. Like, I wish we had people and we could do that, you know. Um, but, you know, we're, we're a much more involved group. And also, it's like literally impossible for me to not think ambitiously about, <laughs> <laughs> about anything that we do. Like, everything that I think of, like, it's, oh, it starts like this. And then I'm like, but what if it's everything else, you know? So mm -hmm. starting small with small experiments, I think allows us to think bigger about where mm -hmm. we're at, you know? <clears throat> yeah. 
So that's one of the um, components of what we've been cooking while in quarantine. Um, another thing that we touched a little bit on is with the Haverhill Public Library, we've been having these workshops. And a month ago, we did one on poetry and libretto uh, writing. And it was not only very successful, but it generated really interesting conversations with folks. And um, with Brenda Hudgens, we've been kind of like uh, developing a bigger, broader program. So it actually just got launched today. And um, the idea is that over the course of six weeks, artists um, who want to explore libretto writing, so they don't have to be librettists. And I think that's very important to us, actually. So they can be poets, screenwriters, from all sorts of life. Directors, um, singers, yeah. like if you're, if you're interested in like the writing aspect, mm -hmm. you don't, like, we don't care if you're an opera librettist, you know? Right. Um, this is a great workshop to join and um, partake because I think also there's a lot of learning from each other because everybody's going to come from different um, areas. And it's, it's a way for them to develop their own librettos. And um, at the end of this workshop, then we will have um, a public, quote-unquote, <laughs> um, online presentation of those librettos that are going to be supported by some of our ensemble members. So they're not going to be fully sung out, if you will, but they will, they, we, we will add some dramatic flair to them. Mm -hmm. um, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. I mean, especially what's going on now, we can't really have a regular opera uh, you mm -hmm. know, performance setting. And, you know, um, the talk I was involved in uh, this morning, um, I heard, I mean, the idea of having a recital per se as a performer is almost, that's not going to be the case, you know, even next year in some ways. I mean, yeah. we can't expect people to just sit in the hall and uh, listen quietly. Mm -hmm. to a, per a performer per se and I think now is the time that uh, we have to be innovative of how um, we present our own artistry yeah yes and I actually I feel... yeah I, sorry go ahead go, go ahead no no, no. <laughs> so I was gonna say I, to me this is very exciting because you know this is a rebirth for the art form for classical music I think people have to look at it differently I think a lot of people who um, were hiding <laughs> amongst like proven true like methods, um, now they realize they have to throw that all out of the window and you know, how can we perform again? Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, today in, uh, in Barcelona, the Teatro Research just performed to the, a completely quote unquote full hall. Um, but they actually put a plant in each one of their seats. So they performed um, their orchestra to 2,500 <laughs> plants, which I think is genius. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you know, it is amazing. But again, awesome. you know, like it, there's something incredibly beautiful about it too, because they were able to bring back a small orchestra together to perform. Um, and they had what felt like a full hall. And actually, plants, as we know, are very receptive <laughs> to music. Um, but it's just a different audience. So, you know, I applaud that. That's completely different. Let's do it, <laughs> you know?
<laughs> in my middle school, uh, uh, I did an experiment where I grew a potato listening to uh, the potato that was listening to Mozart alone, and I put a potato that was listening to like, like K-pop. <laughs> I don't remember the results, but <laughs> well, you have time to try it again. <laughs> <laughs> no way! I gotta eat those potatoes. Are you kidding? Me? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Very true. But so it's not just in my mind. I think it's not just streaming productions or doing um, video content, but it's also like questioning, you know, how do we want to make art together, and how do we push that forward. Um, that's always been something, I mean, even when I was just starting designing with Gorilla, that always excited me about this group. It's, I always feel like they're always pushing the envelope. And so for me, uh, I'm excited to see what, what we'll cook up next. <laughs> but, it, but, you know, like in terms of artist safety and audience yes. safety, like we're definitely waiting mm -hmm. and we're watching and we're paying attention to what the news is saying and following blogs. And there are, there are tasks for task forces, mm -hmm. you know, through opera America, there's a local task force with, which, uh, with, um, Boston Alliance, yeah. Boston opera Alliance that Julia's heading up. Right. Are you heading that up? Or are you just organizing? <laughs> um, I don't want to say something that's wrong. <laughs> and some well, people, no, so um, Boston Lyric Opera has a task force right now, and they're encouraging other companies to um, do that within their organizations themselves. Usually safety in a performance it relies very heavily on the stage manager. And what we're realizing in, in light of this pandemic is like, it, it is beyond just one person's responsibility. It is too much, right? They have to take care of the show, and now they have to take care of the health. Um, so this idea behind the task force is not only just to um, accumulate all this information, but it's also to have people that are there and that are enabled to implement it. So anything from what's an emergency evacuation looking like in the age of COVID, right? So emergency evacuation six feet apart, as well as, you know, uh, how to make the rehearsal room safe, our audience safe so it's 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 across the board but um what aliana is bringing up is um there is a contingency in boston called the boston opera alliance so it's all the groups in town and we've been meeting as well to every two weeks so there is a need and a want to um stay in touch and connect and one of the 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 most attended sessions i would say are the ones about um safety because people are very curious so for example, Gorilla Opera doesn't have a home, right? We don't always perform in the same venue. And so a lot of the venues are actually the ones who are going to impose the restrictions of what you're allowed and what you're not allowed to. And for other companies, because they have their own home base, they have to develop those protocols. So the conversations have been, do we want to establish a standard? And a lot of people have been waiting for Opera America to also um, distribute what this protocol would look like. It's very different from state to state and also liability is very different um, for companies. So yeah, it's also uh, that, another form of survival. There's definitely like protocols being written 
um, <clears throat> and I see them pass through my emails. And as as of current, they are like so extensive that like a small company, I it's really hard for a small company to be able to follow it because we're only run by like a few people. Mm -hmm. So so we're just gonna have to do things our own way and and yeah. wait a bit until we know mm -hmm. we can confidently produce things and know that our artists and the audience will be safe mm -hmm. from us and yeah, from start us. to finish yeah so how can we find out about what gorilla opera is doing next so one of our experiments our quote COVID experiments are premiering I think this coming Friday at something called the puppetry, the puppet pandemic and that you can find it on Facebook because I believe that it streams only on Facebook. So you can, um, we'll post it up to our Facebook page so you can find it. And also it's on our website. If you go to um, Gorilla Opera season page, you can scroll down and we have it up there. And then the Cet Papillon experiment we're still not sure as of yet when it's going to premiere, but it's going to premiere soon. And that's why you should um, sign up for our newsletter to be, and also uh, follow us on social media because a lot of these um, COVID experiments may end up being uh, like a pop-up experience. And so it's best to follow us on social media and to be on our newsletter so you can be the first to find out. I would just, like to add yes please go and explore our website we've listed all our past works as well as our works in development so you'll get a good sneak peek of some of the composers and librettists we're working with thank you both for your time and your invaluable insights looking forward to more creative projects by the ensemble in the near future and this concludes this episode for Gorilla Opera Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and see you next time. Till then. <laughs>